Welcome to the Hope Brooklyn Weekly Sermon Podcast. Hope Brooklyn is a community of faith in Brooklyn, New York that believes wherever you are on your spiritual journey, there's room at the table. Thanks so much for listening and enjoy this week's sermon. Well, welcome again, guys. We have just kicked off a new series that we are calling Groundswell. Groundswell. We're going to be examining John's gospel, as you heard the scripture. And the idea behind this series is quite simple. Every time we gather, uh, often we can say a lot of things to God, but at least according to the gospel, at least according to Acts and the, the New Testament, God really wants to speak to us. He wants to speak to you. And so really the, the impetus behind this series is what would he say to us through his text, his story? What does he want to say to you? You're not here on accident. I firmly believe, regardless of what you think, that you are here. And that God has something to say to you today. Um, one other note, you notice we have a prayer room now. So at any time during the service, is there something you want to pray for? There are people back there in that prayer room, out those doors to the right, and they would love to pray with you. So I don't know if you remember, but we read a scripture, what seems like ages ago. Uh, we are in John chapter 1. We just kicked off. And it's this really interesting scene where Jesus' ministry is kind of beginning. We talked about the prologue of John's gospel last week. Uh, where it says, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. It's this really beautiful prologue to who Jesus is. And now he sort of steps into the scene in Judea, first century Judea, and stuff starts happening. Um, I don't know if you picked up when, as Trey was reading uh, the passage, but there's a, there's a very heavy motif of seeing for John, of seeing, eyesight. There's a very heavy motif of, of what people are looking at and what they actually see. We saw this in the prologue last week. The word became flesh, made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory. We've seen it. The glory of the one and only son. No one has ever seen God, but the one and only son who is in closest relationship with the father reveals him. In our passage today, we read 16 verses. 14 different occasions in those 16 verses have to do with seeing, eyesight. It opens, uh, Jesus is walking by and John the Baptist sees him. The word is emblepo in the Greek, which means to look intently. John is looking intently at Jesus and he says, behold, look, the Lamb of God. It's kind of an odd thing to say, isn't it? <laughs> what does he see? Well, two of John's disciples, they start following Jesus and Jesus turns around and he sees them. And he asked them, what, what are you looking for? What are you looking for? To which they basically sort of pull back and they're like, oh, diversion, diversion. Rabbi, we just want to know where you're living. Where are you staying right now? I don't know if you ever had that experience where literally I had it yesterday. Anna and I were filming a wedding and there was a couple, I was filming them on the dance floor and they started having an argument. And it's like one of those things of like, Russell, just pretend like you're filming someone else, but I am definitely going to continue filming them, you know? And then uh, he gave me this look like, what are you looking at? And you freeze and you're like, say anything except what you're actually looking at. Do not tell him that. But Jesus goes, what are you looking for? What are you, what are you seeking? Uh, we just, we just want to know where you're staying. He tells him, well, come, come and see. Come and see. They saw where he was staying. They stayed with him the rest of the day. And then Andrew, one of the two, goes to his brother Simon and goes, you won't believe this. We have found the Messiah. He brings Simon to Jesus, and Jesus emblepos him 
just like John. He looks intently at him, and he goes, hmm, you're Simon, son of John. I'm going to call you Peter. Again, kind of an odd thing to do. If I met you for the first time, I'd be like, oh, Sally, I'm going to call you Jill. All right, how about that? What is he looking at? What does he see? The very next day, Jesus goes to Galilee. He finds Philip. He says, follow me. Philip does. And just like Andrew, we're not told exactly what happens as Philip is with Jesus. We just know in the next scene, Philip has found Nathanael. And he says, we have found the Messiah, the one we've been looking for. Nathanael does the exact opposite of the two disciples earlier. Notice, when Jesus asked the two disciples, what are you looking at? They did not tell him what they were looking at. Uh, Nathaniel, Philip goes, come, come and see the one that we, that we found. And Nathaniel, he must be a type eight on the Enneagram because he's like, Nazareth? What good comes from Nazareth? He just says what's on his mind. Can I just pause right there and say one thing? Jesus loves it when you tell him exactly what's on your mind. Please never feel like you need to hide because God, if God is as powerful as we think he is, then he knows. So you're not hiding anyway. Tell him exactly what's on your mind. He can handle it. He can. He says, Nazareth, does anything good come from there? And Philip tells Nathaniel, well, come and see. Come and see. Jesus sees Nathaniel coming to him, and he says, everyone, look, a true Israelite in whom there is no deceit. Nathaniel asks, how do you know me? Jesus answers, hey, before Philip called you, I saw you sitting under the fig tree. Nathaniel freaks out a little bit, as I would. <laughs> Like, who is this guy? And he goes, well, I can see you are the son of God. You're the king of Israel. And Jesus answers, because I saw you under the fig tree, you trust me? Believe me, my friend, you're going to see much greater things than these. You're going to see angels ascending and descending on the son of man. There's a lot to do with seeing in this passage. I looked up how our eyes see. <laughs> which I want to be careful because my optometrist is in this room. Dr. Wynn, I hope I do not let you down. And apparently, our eyes see through something called top-down processing. Maybe you've heard of it, top-down processing. Here's how it works. We have sensations and impressions of light that enter our eyeballs. And then as soon as they enter our eyeballs, they begin traveling on two different pathways to get to our brain, right? One of them is really fast and it goes immediately to the prefrontal cortex, which is where our consciousness is. And it stamps, it stamps a sort of blurry image on our brain, right? The other pathway is very slow. Not very slow, about 50 milliseconds slower, all right? But uh, it goes through the visual cortex, and then it starts heading up toward the prefrontal, toward, toward the rest of the brain. And it, the question is, well, why did we do that? Why do our eyes have two pathways, where one gets there very fast to our, our, our brain, and, and, and you sort of know this, if you turn your eyes really fast, right, it's kind of blurry, and then it immediately becomes clear, right? That's that top-down processing. Uh, the, the light comes in, and it gets to your, your brain really fast, and it makes it a blurry image, and then the other pathway goes through the visual cortex and, and on up. Why do we do this? Jonah Lehrer writes, well, our visual cortex needs help. After the prefrontal cortex receives its imprecise picture, the top of the brain quickly decides what the bottom has seen and begins doctoring the sensory data. Form 
is imposed onto the formless rubble. The light just isn't enough. So what happens is when light comes in, there's something called a lateral geniculate nucleus. And I think I have a picture um, right there. There's your lateral geniculate nucleus. We're getting a, a science lesson today. You come to church, we learn about the brain. I love it. But you can sort of tell um, that the lateral geniculate nucleus are thick nerves. There, there are thick nerves that connect your eyeballs to your brain. They are your original fiber optics, actually. And there are 10 times more fibers from the brain to the eye than from the eye to the brain. There are 10 times more fibers from the brain going to the eye than from the eye going to the brain. What does that mean, friends? It means seeing is an act of imagining. It means that your brain is processing and telling you what you're seeing. It means we don't see things as it actually is, which is a swarm of mass and color and lines and light. We see concepts, we see shapes, we see what we want to see. Neurologist Oliver Sacks, he had a patient named Dr. P, and he had a, Dr. P had a cortical lesion, he had a, a cut on his brain that affected how his eyes saw the world. He saw exactly, uh, like, he saw without top-down processing. He saw without his brain interpreting what he, what he was looking at. So uh, Sachs writes, he saw labyrinths of light and masses of color. When he would be shown natural geographic photos, his eyes would dart, says Sachs, from one thing to another picking up tiny features, individual features, a striking brightness, a color, a shape would arrest his attention, an illicit comment, but in no case did he get the scene as a whole. In fact, when leaving the office, he mistook his wife's head for his hat, which apparently, Dr. Sachs said, he, his wife looked like this happened all the time. What's going on here? Dr. P is seeing the world as if for the first time every time with no categories for things. He just sees the light and the colors. He, his brain isn't able to interpret what it is he's seeing and give him a complete picture. His eyes are capturing the light, but the brain could not interpret it for him. Dr. P. Sachs Wright saw nothing as familiar. Visually, he was lost in a world of lifeless abstractions. Ink blots prove this, right? When we look at an ink blot, we don't just see dark ink and odd ge geometric patterns. We see faces and clouds and mountain regions. Our brains are imposing form onto the formless light. The light is not enough. Why, why am I talking about this? Because John tells us the light has shined into the darkness and the darkness has not overcome it. But the light is not enough to change your mind about what you think about it. It matters how your brain processes what you're seeing. Because you see what you want to see. You see what you want to see. That does not mean that there isn't an objective reality out there to be seen. It does not mean that there isn't an objective reality out there to be experienced. It does not mean that there isn't a loving God, a presence right here in this space wanting to speak to you. 
It just means you see exactly what you want to see. You see what your brain has categories for. The light has shined into the darkness, but the light is not enough. It also requires something of us, which explains why in our passage there is a repeated refrain that we hear twice. Maybe you caught it. After the two disciples ask Jesus, they say, uh, where are you staying? What does he say to them? He says, come and see. Come and see. And then later on, Philip is talking to Nathaniel. And Nathaniel's like, Nazareth? What, come, what good comes from Nazareth? And Philip says, come and see. Come and see. And the order of that, that, that statement, come and see, the order is important, friends, because you cannot see first. You have to come first. You have to trust the category first. And then perhaps you'll see. You don't have a category for what you're looking at. You have to come first, and then maybe you'll see. And optically, this is true. You cannot see a mountain for the first time and say, whoa, look at that mountain. You have to have a category in your head for what a mountain is. Otherwise, you'll just see a a blob and a mass of colors and light. So then the question is, all right, they were invited, the disciples and Nathaniel, to come and see what, what category did they have in their heads? And we're told it. It's a little implicit, but we're told it. The two disciples who followed Jesus, they, they, they said, Rabbi, where are you staying? They spent the day with him, and the very next day, what is Andrew, who was one of them, what does he say to Peter? He says, we have found the Messiah. I didn't know they were looking for the Messiah. I always think of Forrest Gump. You remember that scene of Forrest Gump? Where Lieutenant Dan, he goes, Forrest, have you found Jesus yet? And he goes, I didn't know we were supposed to be looking for him, sir. We have found the Messiah. And then Jesus will tell Philip, follow me. And the very next verse, Philip is with Nathaniel saying, we have found the one we've been looking for, Jesus of Nazareth. They found the Messiah, which means they were looking for the Messiah. They had a category in their head for Messiah and they were coming toward it, waiting to see how it was gonna be filled. They didn't expect it to be Jesus. John said, behold the Lamb of God, Uh, Nathaniel said, Nazareth, the Messiah is going to come from Nazareth? But they saw him, they had that category, they came, they saw him, and their eyes were like, oh my, it's him, it's him. Which is why, before Jesus can say, come and see to you in your life, whatever it is, before he can say, hey, come and see, there's a prior question, which he asked the two disciples, you remember it. They were following him, he turns around and he goes, what, what are you looking for? What are you looking for? The word is zeteo, to seek, to search out for. The question for you today is, what are you looking for? Because whatever it is you're looking for, that will determine what you see. They were looking for a Messiah, and even though Jesus did not come in the form they expected, they were able to see him. What are you looking for? God is asking you this today. What are you looking for in your life? Riches, security, fame, acknowledgement in a career, a spouse. What are you looking for? Fairness, freedom. What are you looking for? Because only when you can name that can we say come and see. But notice, you cannot come 
so as to test him. You have to come so as to trust him. Why? Why? Because if you come, but you're like one hand out, testing him, you're not really trusting the category of a God who wants to lead you, of a Messiah who wants to save you. You're not trusting him. So therefore, you don't actually have that category in your head. But if you come so as to trust him, if you come with that category that there is a God who is leading us, that there is a God who speaks to us, who loves us, who moves in our lives, then perhaps you'll get to see exactly that. Now, if you do that, perhaps God will betray your trust. That's a possibility. But that's really the only choice you get. That was the biggest issue with the Pharisees. I don't know if you remember that from the Gospels. When Jesus, he always gets so mad at the Pharisees. And you know what he says about them? He goes, they're the blind leading the blind. They're the blind leading the blind. The issue with the Pharisees is that they have the appropriate category in their head. They just fail to see him over and over. There's actually a story in Matthew 12 where Jesus will perform a miracle. He'll heal someone. And then the Pharisees, after seeing that, they'll go, uh, we want to see a sign from you. Give us a sign. And Jesus is dumbfounded. He's like, I just gave you one. How do they fail to see it? I just healed someone. How is that not enough? Because it explains what's going on in their brains. That they really don't have that category for the Messiah. If you come so as to test him, you're not really coming at all. If you come so as to trust him, then you'll see the hand of God move in insane ways. Coincidental ways, you might say. But for us who are trusting that, we, we have coincidence after coincidence fill our lives. So for anyone in this room who does not trust who Jesus is, and you're totally fine to be here, you are welcome here, as you are and as you believe. But for anyone here who does not trust who Jesus is, the only thing you'll get is exactly what he said to the Pharisees. The Pharisee said, we want to see a sign from you. And he goes, I'm not going to give you a sign. The only thing you'll get is the sign of Jonah, meaning you'll get the claim of the resurrection. And you should consider that. Because if you really take a step back and consider the first church and who Jesus is, this is a Jewish carpenter who was pretty oblivious for 30 years. And then he starts walking around Judea for about one to three years. He did this 2,000 years ago. And he, there's claims of supernatural healings and really profound teachings. He really causes a ruckus. He ends up being crucified by Roman authorities. And then according to his first followers, they say they have encountered his resurrected body, his living presence. They say that they now um, live with that mysterious presence. That presence fills them and talks to them and teaches them and, and tells them, hey, don't do that, do this instead. Or think about this person and pray for this person. And does works through them, leads them into truth and joy and abundant life. Now from the outside, and this is a group of people, his followers who did not gain uh, fame and, and all the things that we look for in the West. They didn't gain that. They instead got imprisonment and they got death and they got suffering and they got poverty. And yet they would not renounce their claims that Jesus was raised from the dead and his presence lives with us and leads us. From the outside, that's a pretty bold claim that if you don't believe today, which is totally fine, you need to make sense of that. 
Logic doesn't seem to dictate what happened. But for those of us who trust that Jesus is who he says he is, who have come to him, we see exactly what the first disciples are saying. We see the presence of God moving in our lives. We see coincidences that connect. Or as Jesus will say to Nathaniel, you're going to see greater things than these. Friends, Jesus wants to know today, what are you looking for in your life? What are you looking for from him? What do you seek? What are you looking for? And if you're open to trusting who he says he is, if you're open to trusting that category, that there is a God, that what does God look like? God looks like Jesus. And that Jesus' presence can live with me and lead me every day, every second of the day, into joy, into delight. It won't be all, you know, roses and daisies. It'll be painful because some things that presence will say, are, I need to stop because they're not good for me. But I can see his hand provide. By giving up my life, I can see him take, take precedence in a way that just blows my mind. If you're willing to trust that, to come with that, then you will see greater things than these. What will you see? Well, kind of like John, who looked intently at Jesus and said, it's the Lamb of God. Or kind of like Jesus, who looked intently at Simon and said, I'm going to call you Peter. You'll see new names. You'll see Nathaniel under a fig tree. You'll just know it in your heart. You'll see him, and you'll pray for him. You'll see angels ascending and descending on the Son of Man, which is just another way of saying that through Jesus, through Jesus, the portal that connects the heavens and the earth has been established as eternal and never to be broken again. God cannot be kept out of his world anymore. He's here, friends. He's here. He's here. He wants to speak to you. Do you have a category that will trust that? And when you know that Jesus is raised from the dead, when you know his presence is here through the gift of his spirit, that he longs to speak to you, to orchestrate details in your life, you will see greater things than these. You'll, here's some examples. You'll, you'll sit down. I have, every morning I get up and I go to my devotions and I have a prayer journal um, that literally I sit down and I start pouring out what's on my heart and then I listen. I say, God, tell me what you want me to pray for. And I listen and I write it down and it emerges from the inside out. And I start writing stuff down. Just on, on Thursday, uh, I, uh, I had a friend of mine. We haven't talked in months, months, no communication. He came into my heart. I started writing down a prayer for him. Four hours later, he texts me out of the blue. He says, hey man, can we catch up? What is that? Is that coincidence? Is that coincidence? Maybe, if you don't have a category for a living God. Yeah, it's coincidence. But for me, who sees the presence of God everywhere, no, that's just how God works. That's just what he does. He was preparing. I, I, he came into my heart, started writing for him. Like, oh, okay. And then he texts. Yeah, that makes sense. That's who God is. His presence is everywhere. God will give us uh, intuitions, nudges, impressions for people. 
we'll text them, be like, hey, man, or, or, or um, hey, lady, this, this came to mind, this verse, this thought. I don't know what it means. And you'll get to hear how the timing of that text was uncannily accurate to exactly what was going on in their lives. And from the outside, you can say, oh, it's coincidence. Why do coincidences after coincidences follow the people of God? Why? Unless there is a living presence that you can trust and step into. What do you seek? What do you want? What do you want? What do you want? Do you want to be in control of your life? You can have that. You can just show up and sing songs and hear a message. Or do you want to live through the power of God's presence? You can have that too. You'll pray for people's bodies that God's presence would live in them and heal them. And crazily, it will. It will. And the reason why you have to have that category is because human nature, you see it all throughout the Bible, guys. Don't forget in the book of Exodus, they are following a cloud and a pillar of fire. They're following it. They were liberated out of Egypt. They saw all the plagues. And then do you remember in chapter 32, Moses is on the mountain a bit too long and they freak out and they build idols. They say, we don't have a God anymore. That's our nature. We will revert back to what is safest and easiest. I remember when I was 23, I had a condition in my body and I, I, I had an impression I knew what it was about. So I asked some friends to pray for me. They prayed for me and the condition went away. And yet still, sometimes I wonder, was that coincidence or was that God? It was God. It was God. You'll have this presence overcome your soul with love and delight and your mouth with the foreign form of praise. God is so here, ready to meet with you. But what are you looking for? Or just as one final example, because it's the most recent for me, and we'll end with this. So I'll invite the, the worship team to go ahead and come on back up. Um, Anna, my wife, uh, and I, part of our prayers over the last couple months have been for this fall season. We feel like this fall season has been important. We've been praying for joy. We've been praying for all sorts of stuff. But one of our prayers has been around our apartment. Um, our apartment has not been very restful. Uh, but one of the best things about our apartment is that our best friends, many of you know Nathan and Stephanie. Nathan was the good-looking guy who was showing us around the teams. Uh, they live on the exact same block. Uh, Nathan and Stephanie helped Anna and I plant this church. Um, and uh, they recently, as you guys know, they've discerned that it's, they fulfilled their commission. They got us through chapter one, and so they're, they're moving back to Minnesota. Next Sunday is their last Sunday, so if you're in town, please be here. But we've lived on the same block. And so one of our things has been, okay, God, this joy, where's it coming from? You know, what, what's going to happen when they, when they move away? And this summer, God sent the plagues on our apartment, <laughs> Some of y'all are aware. I kid you not, guys. We have had a cricket infestation, okay? And when I say infestation, I am not exaggerating. I mean, we have a sticky trap that we put in all different places in the room. We wake up in the morning and we find 20 new crickets on each sticky trap. They're everywhere. We've had fruit flies everywhere. We can't get rid of. We've had mosquitoes that like, they are not the mosquitoes I'm used to from North Carolina. North Carolina mosquitoes are very slow and stuff. These mosquitoes are fast and sharp, all right? They are like, I remember we had, we had friends over one summer evening 
And for whatever reason, mosquitoes love Anna's blood more than any other. So we had citronella candles, we had tiki torches, we had sprays, we had a diffuser, we had uh, bands on her legs and arms, everything. We had like seven lines of defense. Me and the other two people, we didn't get bit once. Anna got bit nine times, all right? Uh, so like we had mosquitoes. And we're on the first floor, so there's darkness, right? This is all the plagues. We started flooding. <laughs> we started flooding this summer. So we had um, our pipes back up. It was crazy. We had heavy rains that just started flooding. We're like, what is going on? How is this all happening this summer? I'm going to take you back last, not this past week, but the week before, right? Um, I'm going to try to give you as, not as many details as, as there are, but they're incredible details. Um, Anna was, she was praying one day, and it's a little PG-13, but whatever. She was in the shower and she was praying and she was thinking about a place that she wanted to move to last year, but I didn't want to move uh, for all the reasons. It's, it's too much money, all that stuff. And she was thinking about that place and praying. She's like, God, send me a sign. I she just felt like God was moving on her heart. It's time to move. Send me a sign. She felt a tickle on her leg and she looked down and there was a cricket on her leg. <laughs> She's like, that's it. That's the sign. I'm out. <laughs> She gets out, she goes to Street Easy, she finds a place. Um, it's in the neighborhood where the place was last year. We're having a prayer team meeting that night, so I'm praying. And as I'm praying, I just have this sense. I feel the living presence speak to me. And it's just, it's a sense of, I should go with her. I just feel like God's like, you need to go with her. Cool. Don't know why. I go with her to see this place. The place is not good. It's not right for us. But as we get off the train in this neighborhood, which the last time I was there, I didn't like it, I have this sense again, like, ah, oh, I could live here. This is nice. Okay? That night, or the, the, yeah, that night, as we're talking about it and Anna's ready to go, I'm not so sure yet, our dishwasher breaks. Just add one more thing to it. Very, very, like, like an hour later, was like, this is not the right place. Another place pops up on Street Easy. Exact same neighborhood. Exact same neighborhood. We go see it the next day. It's pretty perfect. And I'm like, oh, shoot, is that why you took me yesterday, God, to come see this place? It wasn't for that other one, but it was to prepare my heart that I could live in this neighborhood. So we're talking about it. I'm like, babe, I just don't know. Like, there's a lot of money. You guys know broker's check stuff. It's the fall. There's a lot going on. I want joy, but how do we know this is God? I know our apartment's falling apart, but how do we know? We prayed and we prayed and we sensed ultimately it was. We made the decision. We said, yes, we're going for it. So we applied. We got accepted on Friday, right before fall kickoff. Here's where the story gets crazy, all right, if it hasn't already. We're on a month-to-month -month with our landlord right now. So I have to call my landlord and say, hey, the move-in date is October 15th. Will you let us, you know, just pay for half a month? And I call him, and long story short, he's basically like, ah, I would have liked it earlier, but that's okay. I'm like, why is that okay? He was about to kick us out of our apartment to move back in and renovate, which when we moved in, we knew it was going to happen. We had no idea it was going to happen now. He was about to kick us back out and move in and renovate. I had no idea that was in his heart. Do you know who did know that was in his heart? 
God. Coincidence? Or is there a presence who wants to work in your life? If you'll allow it, if you'll listen, if you'll spend time with him. I felt a lot better about writing that broker's check once I knew this. <laughs> so you can have all the money in the world. I have the Lord. And he's going to provide me an apartment every time I need it. I have the Lord. And you can have it too. It's yours for the taking. But what are you looking for? What are you willing to let go of? Are you willing to come and see and not come to test him, but come to trust him and allow him to fulfill your trust? I'm gonna ask you to close your eyes, friends. The invitation of Jesus today and through this series is quite simple. Do you want stories like this? Will you come and see? They're there. His presence is here for you to know, to be with you, to guide you into what is true and right and good. A lot of this series is not about you speaking to God, but God wanting to speak to you. God wanting to minister to you. But before he can do that, you have to come. You have to have a category in your heart. You have to trust, even if you're afraid, that he does want to speak to you, that you can hear him. Would you allow him to speak to you right now? What is he saying? Holy Spirit, speak to your people whether they acknowledge you or not right now. Speak to your people. Come, Holy Spirit. Does your body hurt? And is God saying that's not going to get the final word in your life? Do you have an addiction? But you sense God is saying, it's not over. The story's not over. Will you come and see? Is your marriage crumbling around you and you have no idea what to do and God is saying, I want to repair it? Do you feel so lonely, so unbelievably lonely and you're desperate for an answer and God is saying, I have an answer. There are things in your heart and your body and your life that God wants to speak to you about in this season. But before he can do so, you have to come and see. Jesus, we are desperate for you. Desperate. We've been told by the world that there is no God. And that even if there is, that God is certainly not love. And yet our hearts testify that that can't be true. Because when we look at your story, Jesus, and we hear the claim that this is God in the flesh, we come alive. It, something wants to leap inside of us. 
There is a category in our head to see the living God unite with this world all over again. There is a category because we look at your church and this ragtag group of weak people, marginalized people have spread over the face of the earth. They've taken over everywhere and not in powerful ways, but through powerless ways, through being living sacrifices. Is it coincidence or do they see something that the rest of us don't? Do they know how good you are? Do they know your voice in a way that the rest of us long for, but we're terrified? Because what if you let us down? I think that's ultimately it, friends. You want this, but you're so afraid. What if he lets me down? I can't handle more heartache. Come and see. We're going to stand and sing a song, and as we do, I encourage you to make the prayer room available. It's there for you as well as to listen to what the presence of God might be speaking to you right now. So would you stand and let us sing as a community. To find out more about the mission of Hope Brooklyn, details about Sunday gatherings, brunch, how to financially contribute, and a whole lot more, check us out online at www.hopebrooklyn.org. Thanks to Liz Vice at lizvice.com for the music and to you for tuning in. See you next week.